Chapter Thirteen of John Thursday by Lewis Joseph Vance. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Immediately after her second public appearance in the convict's return, Joan removed her makeup, changed his street dress, and scurried through the rain to a child's restaurant not far from the theater. In her excitement, she had forgotten lunch, and she was now thoroughly hungry but she lingered purposely over the meal and even for some time after she had finished preoccupied with self-dissection she was at last an actress but she was none the less singularly discontented in a very brief time she had travelled a great way from the joan thursby of east seventy-sixth street a world of emotion and experience already disassociated them but she seemed to have profited little by the journey she felt sure that she had started the wrong way to prove her ability to act and foreseeing nothing better than her present circumstances she questioned gravely an, an inscrutable future instinctively she felt uneasy about this intimate daily relationship with quard she wasn't afraid of him but she was a little afraid of herself because she liked him though still she dwelt in secret longing upon the image half real half fanciful of a lover gentle and strong and fine such as one as john matthias might prove for all that charlie quard had the power to stir her pulses with a casual look of admiration or with some careless note of tenderness in his accents the shower slashed viciously at the restaurant windows at that hour there were few other patrons in the establishment no lights to relieve the dismal grayness of the afternoon and no sounds other than an infrequent clash of crockery the muffled shuffling of waitresses feet and their subdued voices the melancholy and incessant crepitation of the downpour joan was sensible to the approach of an exquisite despondency and in alarm fearing to think too deeply she arose ran back to the theatre and on impulse paid her way in through the front to watch the flickering phantasmagoria of the flying films and to sit in judgment on the antics of her fellows on the variety bill she was in no hurry to return to the dressing-room with its smells of grease-paint scented powder ordinary perfumes sweat stale cigarette smoke gin and broken food one of the clogged dancers claimed a tubercular tendency for which she asserted gin to be a sovereign specific but as the day ran on was even forgetting at times to cough by way of an overture to recourse to the bottle the other viewing this proceeding with public disfavour had opened up an apparently inexhaustible and hopelessly monotonous store of reminiscences of the privations she had endured in consequence of fanny's weakness joan gathered that the two were forever being dropped from one bill after another because of fanny's weakness and of this she had five more days to anticipate and to endure she crawled back to forty-fifth street at half-past eleven that night so dog-tired that she had neither the heart nor the strength to call on the deans with her good news this though there were sounds of discreet revelry audible through the door of the second-floor front somehow the week wore out without misadventure joan walked through her part with increasing confidence Quard left her very much to herself when they were off the stage. Indeed, he spent no more time in the theatre than was absolutely necessary. 
what he did out of it she did not know but from the frequency with which he played his part with an alcoholic breath she surmised that he was solacing himself in conventional manner for his degradation to the four-a-day on the third day the clog dancers were dispensed with for the reason forecast their place being taken by two female acrobats of a family troop who lolled about for eleven hours at a stretch in their grimy pink tights and had little to say either to joan or to the matronly lady with the robust voice and the knitting but the change was a wholesome one for the dressing-room the following week charles d'arcy and company played at another house of equal unpretentiousness on the east side and the week after that was divided between two other theatres and on wednesday of the fourth week they were then in harlem what joan had vaguely foreseen and hoped against happened cord turned up in the morning with red-rimmed eyes a flushed face and a thick tongue blatantly advertising a night of sleepless drunkenness by sheer force of an admirable physique and the instinct of a trained actor he contrived to play the first turn without mishap snatched a little sleep in his dressing-room and seemed almost his everyday self at the next repetition but after that he left the theatre to drug his jangling nerves with more whisky and appeared at the final repetition so stupefied that he would not have been permitted to go on the stage but for remissness on the part of the stage manager before he had been five minutes on view he was hooted off and the curtain was rung down amid an uproar once back in her dressing-room where she was alone since their act was the last on the bill and the rest of the performers had already left the theatre joan gave way to a semi-hysterical tempest of tears it was her first experience at close quarters with a man in hopeless intoxication and while cord's surrender was too abject to terrify she was faint with disgust of him and incensed beyond measure with him for having subjected her to those terrible five minutes before a howling audience with this she was poignantly aware that henceforth their offering was cold by morning cord's name would be upon the blacklist and further booking impossible to secure she might as well count herself once more out of work and now in even less hopeful circumstances than when first she had struck out for herself for then she had been buoyed up by the fatuous confidence of complete inexperience and then she had been comparatively affluent in the possession of twenty-two dollars now she knew how desperately hard was the way she must climb and she had less than five dollars but little she had been able to set aside out of her weekly wage had gone to purchase some sorely needed supplements to her meagre wardrobe it was some time before she could collect herself enough to dabble her swollen eyes with cold water scrub off her makeup and change for the street she stole away presently across an empty and desolate stage and through the blind black alley leading from the stage door to one hundred and twenty-fifth street she felt somewhat relieved and comforted by the clean night air and the multitude of lights the sense of normal life fluent in its accustomed orderly channels it seemed in her excited fancy like escaping from the foul choking atmosphere of a madhouse the theatre was near third avenue toward which joan hurried meaning to board a southbound car and transfer to forty-second street but as she neared the corner she checked sharply and simple curiosity proving stronger than her impulse to fly across the street 
went more slowly only a few yards behind a figure that she knew too well a swaying figure with weaving feet vastly different from the carefully overdressed dandified person he had been at their first meeting quard stumbled on his hands deep in pockets head low between his shoulders a straw hat jammed down over his eyes obviously he was without definite notion of either his whereabouts or his destination passers-by gave him a wide berth he seemed so broken and helpless that pity replaced horror and indignation in the heart of the girl after all he hadn't been unkind to her but for him she would long since have gone to the wall and ever since their clash on the day of the tryout he had treated her with a studied respect which had pleased her apprehensive though she had remained of a renewal of his advances suddenly and quite without premeditation she darted forward and plucked quard by the sleeve just as he was on the point of staggering through the swinging doors of a corner saloon if her impulse had been at all articulate she would have said that this was in such extremity the least she could do to try to save him from himself charlie she cried no charlie don't be a fool the man halted and turning reeled against the doorpost what's the matter he asked thickly then recognition stirred in his bemused brain why is little joan thursley come away she insisted nervously don't be a fool don't go in there go home he moved his head waggishly ash where i'm going home soon as i brace up a bit come away joan repeated sharply dragging at his cuff do you hear come away a walk'll straighten you out better'n anything else walk eh cord lifted his chin and lurched away from the doorpost you want to take a walk with me all right indulgently i'll walk with you well one sure as you like come then she persisted hurry it's late he yielded peaceably with a sodden chuckle but as he turned the lights of the saloon illumined his face vividly for an instant and provided joan with a fresh and appalling problem the man had forgotten to remove his make-up his mouth and jaws were plastered with a coat of bluish-gray paint to suggest a week's growth of beard when viewed across footlights there were wide blue rings round his eyes and splashes of some silvery mixture on his dark hair his face was a burlesque mask so extravagant that it could not well escape observation in any steady light it was impossible for joan to be seen publicly with him in a street-car for instance but now that she had taken charge of him she couldn't gain her own consent to abandon the man to the potentially fatal whims of his condition for a moment aghast and hesitant in another she recognized how unavoidable was the necessity of adopting the suggestion his stupefied wits had twisted out of her pleadings she would have to walk with him a little way at least until he could recover to some slight extent indeed even had she desired to she would probably have found it difficult to get rid of him just then for in an attempt to steady himself quard grasped her arm just above the elbow and this grip he maintained firmly without joan's daring to resent it openly she was to that extent afraid of his drunkenness afraid of his uncertain temper submissively then she piloted him to the south side of the street 
where with fewer lighted shop windows there was consequently less publicity and to lexington avenue turning south and then west through the comparative obscurity of one hundred and twenty fourth street neither spoke until they had traversed a considerable distance and turned south again on lenox avenue the streets were quiet peopled with few wayfarers and these few hurried past them with brief incurious glances if not with that blind indifference which is largely characteristic of the people of new york cord suffered himself to be led with a docility as grateful as it had been unexpected it was apparent to the girl that he was making subconsciously at least a strong effort to control his erratic feet he retained her arm however until they were near one hundred and sixteenth street when noticing the lights of cornered drug store girl held back a swift glance round about discovered nobody near where's your handkerchief charlie she demanded where's your wash wash master i say she repeated impatiently where's your handkerchief get it out and scrub some of that paint off your face do you hear you look like a fool i'm a fool cord admitted gravely fumbling through his pockets well i won't be seen with you looking like that hurry up her peremptory accents roused him a little he found his handkerchief and began laboriously and ineffectually to smear his face with it with the sole result of spreading the color instead of removing it in this occupation he released her arm with a testy exclamation joan snatched the handkerchief from him and began to scour his cheeks and jaws heedless whether he liked it or not to this treatment he resigned himself without protest with in fact almost ludicrous complacence lowering his head and thrusting it forward as if eager for the scrubbing for all her willingness she could accomplish little without cold cream when at length she gave it up his jowls were only a few shades lighter she shrugged with despair and threw away the greasy handkerchief it's no use she said it just won't come off you'll have to go as you are Watch that go where now listen charlie she said imperatively see that drug store on the corner you go in there and ask the man to give you something to straighten you out cord nodded solemnly fixed the lighted show window with a steadfast glare and repeated something to straighten out that's it go on now i'll wait here he wagged a playful forefinger at her fine you do he mumbled and wandered off and charlie get him to let you wash your face she called after the man waiting in the friendly shadow of a tree she watched him anxiously through the window saw him turn to the soda fountain and make his wants known to the clerk who with a nod of comprehension and a smile of contempt began at once to juggle bottles and a glass singularly enough it never occurred to the girl to seize this chance to escape she was now accepting the situation without question or resentment ward seemed to her little better than an overgrown irresponsible child requiring no less care somebody had to serve him instead of his aberrant wits to leave him to himself would be sheer inhumanity but she reasoned about his case far less than she felt and for the most part acted in obedience to simple instinct she saw him drain a long draught of some whitish foaming mixture pay and reel out of the store he had of course forgotten if he had heard 
her plea to remove the remainder of his makeup. She was angry with him on that account, as angry as she might have been with a heedless youngster, but she did not let this appear. She moved quickly to his side. Come on, she said quietly, turning southward. You've got to walk a lot more. He checked, mumbled inarticulately, staring at her with glazed eyes, but in the end yielded passively. In silence, they continued to 110th Street, Joan watching him furtively but narrowly. The drug worked more slowly than she had hoped. Primarily, in fact, it seemed only to thicken the cloud that befogged his wits. But by the time they had gained the last-named street, she noticed that he was beginning to walk with some little more confidence. He now seemed quite ignorant of her company, strode on without a word or glance aside. They crossed the central park, and, entering, began to thread a winding path up the wooded rises of its northwestern face. Momentarily, now, there was an increasing assurance apparent in the movements of the man. He trudged along steadily, but with evident effort, like one embarrassed by a heavy weariness. His breathing was quick and stertorous. The park seemed very quiet. Joan wondered at this, until she remembered that it must have been nearly midnight when they stopped at the drugstore. She had noticed idly that the clerk had interrupted preparations to close in order to wait on Quard. They met nobody afoot, not even a policeman, but here and there, upon benches protected by umbrageous foliage, figures were vaguely discernible. Men and women appeared to a bench, sitting very near to one another when not locked in bold embraces. Joan heard their voices, gentle, murmurous, fond. These sights and sounds, the intimations they distilled, would at a previous time have moved the girl either to derision or to envy. Now she felt only a profoundly sympathetic compassion, new and strange to her, quite inexplicable. Near the top of the hill they found a bench set in the stark glare of an arc-light, and therefore unoccupied. Upon this Cord threw himself as if exhausted. He said nothing, seeming wholly oblivious of his companion. Immediately he was seated, his chin dropped forward on his chest, his hat fell off, his arms and legs dangled inertly. He appeared to sink at once into impregnable slumber, yet Joan was somehow intuitively aware that he wasn't asleep. She herself was very weary, but she couldn't leave him now, at the mercy of any prowling vagabond of the park. Picking up his hat, she sat down beside him with it in her lap, glad of the chance to rest. She was at once, and incongruously, not sleepy and thoughtless. Convinced that Quard was coming to himself, she was no longer troubled by solicitude. Her wits wandered in a vast vacuity, sensitive only to dull impressions. She felt the immense hush that brooded over the park, a hush that was rendered emphatic by the muffled but audible and fast drumming of the man's overstimulated heart, straining its utmost to pump and cleanse away the toxic stuff in his blood. The infrequent rumble and grinding of a surface car on Central Park West seemed a little noise in comparison. Now and again, a long thin line of glimmering car windows would wind snakily round the lofty curve of the elevated structure at one hundred and tenth street beyond the great bulk of the unfinished cathedral on morningside heights loomed black against a broken sky of clouds 
at one time a policeman passed them strolling lazily helmet in hand while he mopped his brow his stare was curious for the two silent and ill-assorted figures on the bench joan returned it with insolent and aggressive interests as if to demand what business it was of his he grinned indulgently and passed on she had lost track of time entirely when quard stirred sighed lifted his head and sat up with a gesture of deep despondency the movement roused her from a dull lethargic waking dream feeling better charlie she asked with assumed lightness he nodded and groaned without looking at her able to go home yet in a minute he said drearily where do you live she persisted he waved a hand indifferently westward over there ninety-sixth street think you'll be able to walk it oh i'm all right now he groaned again leaned forward elbow on knee forehead in his hand i feel like hell he muttered the best thing for you is to get to bed and get some sleep said the girl stirring restlessly he snapped crossly wait a minute can't you she subsided i guess you know i've gummed this thing all up don't you he asked at length yes i guess you have she replied listless and of course bitterly it's all my fault to this she answered nothing well i'm sorry he pursued in a solemn voice i guess i can't say any more than that she sighed i guess it can't be helped he leaned back again explored a pocket brought to light a roll of money with shaking hands stripped off four bills well anyway there's your bit taking the bills she examined them carefully that's a whole week she said surprised all right it's coming to you with neither thanks nor further protest she put the money away in her pocketbook you've acted like a brick to me he continued don't let's talk about that now i don't want you should think i don't appreciate it if it hadn't been for you i don't know when i'd have got home chances are not till tomorrow night anyway the old woman had been half crazy john kept silence my mother he amended with a sidelong glance there's only the two of us well said the girl rising if that's so you'd better get home to her she won't be any too happy until she sees you and not then reluctantly he got to his feet she thinks i'm a great actor he observed bitterly and i'm nothing but a damned drunken joan interrupted roughly ah can that bunk it'll keep till tomorrow and maybe you'll mean it then he subsided into silence whether offended or penitent she never knew nor cared she gave him his hat avoiding his look and without further speech they found their way out to the gate at one hundred and third street here joan paused to await an eighth avenue car you'd better walk all the way home even if you don't feel like it she advised quard brusquely it won't do you any harm and that mop of yours is a sight all right he assented he moved tentatively a foot or so away checked turned back i suppose this is good-bye he said offering his hand i guess it is she agreed without emotion barely touching his clammy and tremulous fingers 
she hastily withdrew her own a southbound car was swinging down to them not a block distance quard eyed it with morose disfavour at that he said suddenly maybe this wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been so standoffish i only wanted to be friends in her exasperation joan gave an excellent imitation of miss maydean's favourite ejaculation my god she said scornfully if you can't think of any better excuse for being a souse than to blame it on me good night the car pulled up for her she climbed aboard left him staring End of chapter thirteen